Do you ever wonder how your favorite country artist got to where they are today? We had no fear whatsoever. In fact, we we probably made a lot of mistakes. People go, what are they doing? They're not ready for this. But we were so hungry to be out there in front of people that we probably should have spent a little more time honing our craft <laughs> before we just dove in. Did success come easy or was it a long, hard road? I wasn't sure I was going to make it at all, but I just kept like the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. What advice would they give to a young artist? The greatest advice Elvis ever gave me. If you ever forget where you came from, you're never going to get where you want to go. Meet our co-hosts, Candy O'Terry and J.C. Don Valeris. They sat down with icons in the music industry, and you've got a front row seat. Welcome to Country Music Success Stories. Hi, I'm Candy O'Terry. And I'm J.C. Don Valeris. In this episode, we're off to the home of platinum-selling singer-songwriter and very proud mama, Julie Roberts. That's right. You might remember her first big hit back in 2004 called Break Down Here. She's been through the ringer in so many ways, and she talks about her life and plenty of the hard times in this interview. This is the story of resilience, of perseverance, and she's making a huge comeback with a new album produced by Shooter Jennings and Erin Enderlin called Ain't In No Hurry. 14 tracks that will knock your socks off. Julie greeted us at the door with her signature gorgeous blonde hair, her perfect figure, and the coolest bell-bottoms I have ever seen. Her home, just outside of Nashville, is gorgeous, with a huge grand piano in the living room and microphones set up for rehearsal. She was warm, kind, filled with Southern charm, and more than willing to share her country music success story, including her MS diagnosis and the joys of being a mom. Your story is a story of resilience and perseverance, attributes that you cannot live without if you want to survive in country music. Your latest album is called Ain't In No Hurry, and it's produced by one of the greatest country music producers around, Shooter Jennings, son of Jesse Coulter and Waylon Jennings. He reached out to you out of the clear blue sky, sent you an email. Tell us that story. It was after I had released two independent records myself, probably around... 2013 2014 around that time I just was checking my emails like I always do and it said hey Julie we met each other at a festival years ago and I wondered what you were doing and he said so I'm just reaching out because I would love to work with you I don't think that you've made your career record and I want to help you make a record that I think you can make I wrote back and I said yes thank you for thinking about me but I can't pay for another record I just paid for two independent releases and you know when you're an independent artist you pay for everything and he said that's okay can you get to LA how important is it for you to feel a connection with a producer when you're in the studio (laughs) so important and all producers are so very different and I loved Shooter's approach it was way different than anybody I'd ever worked with before it took me out of my comfort zone it kind of gave me more confidence in myself as an artist and songwriter because he pushed me. I didn't know it at the time, but I was growing working with Shooter. So all the other records I made were in Nashville. And in Nashville, the sessions start from 10 to 1, and then 2 to 5, and they're like set times. In LA, I showed up, and Shooter said, just come to the studio about 9 p.m. And so we worked through the night, and we weren't on a time clock. We worked till we were done. There was no plan, which was very different for me, because I'm a planner. And I like details. 
but the freedom allows us both, he and myself, to be a little bit more creative. I would show up at the studio. He would just start it and say, hey, what are you listening to right now? And I remember saying, Ray LaMontagne, New York City's killing me. And I said, but you know, that could be Music City's killing me. And he said, well, that's why you're here, isn't it? Because you told me that I was glad that he got what I did because I didn't know where I fit in here anymore musically. And that I appreciated him reaching out. It was like an answer to my prayers. Like Absolutely. I, it feels I, like a God moment for sure. It was. Opened up a whole new door for you. It did. And I had been praying, God, help me figure out how to get back doing what I love and send someone. And then that random email came, which was not random now, we know. He said, well, let's change it to Music City's Killing Me. And Ray LaMontagne likes it and said it was good. We could do that, thankfully. And then I said, Shooter, I think it should be a duet. Do you know, I think Jamie Johnson gets me. And like you, I think he believes in what I do. And I totally get him, love his style. And so we asked Jamie. Thankfully, he said, yeah. So that's kind of how our sessions went. Just gotta get me I just read that you had a chance to perform Music City's Killing Me at the Opry with Jamie and your little boy was in the wings. He was. What a dream come true. I can see your eyes filling up just thinking about it. (laughs) Let me tell you, it truly was a dream come true. It had been 11 years since I played the Opry. And years ago, when I was first on the Opry, I remember seeing Vince Gill on the Opry. And Vince was playing, and Amy was on the side, his wife, and their little girl, Karina, was just watching him. In my heart, I said, one day I want to have a child, and I want to have my child watching me from the Opry stage, from the side stage. And when they invited me to do the Opry that night to sing Breakdown Here and uh, music City's Killing Me with Jamie. I knew I called Mama right away. I said, Mama, you got to get off of work early. I said, we are going to the Opry. I'm getting Jackson dressed up. <laughs> and I want you to hold him on the side of the stage, and I want to look back at him. But I actually brought him to the circle on the first song. I asked, was it okay? Because Jackson listens to everything I listen to, Merle Haggard, Patsy Cline, all of the people that stood in that circle. I just think he loves traditional country music like me and I wanted to share that moment with him so bad and I'm so glad that they let me bring him out there he was only out there for a second but I have a picture and so he will always know that he stood in that well I held him in that circle with me and that truly was another answer to my prayers your voice is so full of soul sass sorrow power everyone who reviews any song by you always says things like that Has it always been this way? And the question is, when did you discover that you could sing? Take us (laughs) back. So I grew up in a house of domestic violence. My mom would take my sisters and I out of the house to Mama's house. My grandmother's Mama, and she's still living in South Carolina. And it was our safe place. My dad was an abusive alcoholic. So we would get in her truck. It was a Ford F-150, us three girls and Mama. You know, this was before seatbelt laws, so her arm was our seatbelt. 
But Mama listened to country music, and she turned it up really loud. And I know now that that was her escape, but it also was mine. And I knew every single word to every song on the radio then. And it was from those car rides. And constant, even when she would take us to the nursery, I know that that was her escape. And so I just started singing to the radio. And then Mama tells me one day, she said, I think she actually can sing. She's on tune. And she started to get me voice lessons. I started singing in choir at the church. And then one day she entered me into this talent competition. And I was scared. I was scared of everyone back then. I was so shy. I sang Rocky Top. (laughs) That's before I even moved to Tennessee. And I have a video and, and I look scared to death. But that was the first time I sung on stage. And I was five or six singing Rocky Top. Mama made my outfit. She made all my singing outfits for me. They both cried because they thought she's not going to get up up there and sing. (laughs) But when I was up there, I wasn't afraid. And they helped me realize early on that being on stage and doing music was my comfort zone. You came to Nashville to attend Belmont University. So take us back to arriving in Nashville and your college experience there. Well, I always knew I wanted to go to Belmont because I loved Trish Sherwood, and I knew that she went there. And I knew I needed to get to Nashville. My dad was always a realist, and Mama was a dreamer like me. And my dad was like, you need to go to college. And I said, okay, I'll go to college. And so I worked really hard to get some scholarships. My first two years, I went to University of South Carolina in Lancaster, where I'm from, so I could save money to come to Belmont. And I came here as a junior, but... I knew that was my way to get to Nashville. Out of college, you got a job working as an assistant to Luke Lewis, the label head at Mercury Nashville. That job must have been such a great way for you to break into the business of music and to get an education on how the business worked. What did you learn? I was first the receptionist of Mercury Records for two and a half years. And as a receptionist at the front desk, you learn a lot. You meet a lot. You see a lot of people coming in, pitching songs, and the artists, and managers. I mean, I, I learned probably a lot more at that front desk than I did in the office assist answering Luke's calls. But then I got a promotion from the reception desk to Luke's assistant. They said, Luke likes the way you answer the phones, and he wants you to be his assistant. But if you're a singer, don't tell us, because he doesn't want a singer answering his phones. So I didn't tell him. And I didn't lie either. I just didn't tell him. I said, okay. So, yes, I was Luke's assistant, and he was a chairman of Universal Music Group. I learned a lot, but I got to listen to a lot of great music in that role, too, because he always closed his office doors, and he turned his music up really loud. So I loved being there. I could hear the hard meetings he would have with artists and their managers. So, yeah, I I learned a lot there, too, but I think I learned just as much sitting at that front desk watching people come in and out of the label. You got to be a fly on the wall. Yeah, that's such an incredible education. While you were there on your time off, you made a demo with producer Brent Rowan mm-hmm. and he played that yep. for Luke. What so, was that like? When I would get off of work at night, Brent and I would record demos, just guitar vocals. He knew I came to Nashville to sing. He said, okay, I'm going to start taking this around town. So he went to every label before he went to my boss. And they all said, no, she's too bluesy, too soulful, whatever. They had a reason they didn't like what we did. He never gave up. He said, Julie, I want to play this for Luke. And I said, you can't. I said, I'll lose my job. And at that time, my mom had moved to Nashville. And we had just, with my pay raise of being his assistant, we were able to buy a condo 10 minutes from here. She still lives there. And I said, I can't lose my job. We just bought this condo. 
And he said, I promise you won't lose your job. Just get me on Luke's schedule. And so I went to Luke and I said, hey, Luke, Brent Rowan is working with a new artist in town and would like a meeting with you about that artist. Thankfully, and again, this is all God, that Luke never said, who's the artist? He never did. And he took Brent Rowan's meeting because Brent had just had a lot of success with Joe Nichols. I'm sitting outside of his office the day that Brent comes in, and I know what he's going to do. And Luke, again, always shut his door, and I could hear my voice coming through the walls. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And it stopped. The CD stopped and started a few times. I thought, gosh, he must not like it, or I'm going to, I'm getting ready to lose my job. So anyway, Brent leaves the meeting, and he said, call me when you get off. And then my boss left, and he said, "Um, I'll see you tomorrow. So I called Brent as soon as I could, and he said he stopped the CD the first time and said, who is this girl? I like her voice. I'd love to meet her. And he says, she's right outside your office. She's your assistant. And Luke said a lot of things that I will not say on your podcast today, but basically she's not supposed to be a singer, and now I don't know what I'm going to do because I like it. He never said anything to me for a few days, and then he finally said, hey, I heard your stuff, and I like it. And he said, but I'm going to play it for the rest of Mercury Records and not tell them it's you and let them decide if they want to work with this artist. And so it took a few weeks and he finally came back to me and he said, they like your sound. They liked these songs and we want to give you a record deal, but I need an assistant. I need you to find me an assistant that definitely does not sing. Well, you got signed to Mercury in 2003 and in 2004, Mm -hmm. you explode on the charts with Breakdown Here. What was that feeling like for you? It was crazy. You know, I had um, always dreamed about having a song on the radio. I thought before I got working, you just took your CD and they would play it. I didn't know that you did radio tours and all that stuff. So life was moving so fast. I just wasn't able to take in those moments. It was amazing. You know, I was getting to play on TV shows and people knew my songs you know they were hearing it on the radio and I'd always wanted that I was playing shows all over the country I was in places I'd only been to two three states and I was everywhere so my dreams were all coming true and when mama could she would come on the road with me which was also another dream I was on a bus okay I always wanted to be on a bus anytime I would see a bus on the interstate I say mama I really want to get be on a bus one day I was living my dream God was answering my prayers I was having a blast But if I could do it again, I would take in those moments a little bit more. They were moving so fast. Marker 203, the gas gauge leaning on the edge of it. And I'll be dying if the rain ain't pouring down. There's something smoking underneath the hood. It's a banging and a clanging, and it can't be good. It's another 50 miles to the nearest town Everything I own's in the back in a hefty bag I'm out of cigarettes and I'm down to my last rag I sure hate to break down here Nothing up ahead or in Keep me moving somehow Don't let me start wishing I was with him now 
Tell me about the first time you ever heard your song on the radio. I will never forget that. I was on a treadmill in Nashville. And it was the local station. I just wanted to tell the whole gym that I was on the radio, but I didn't. I just smiled through that run. And I got off and I called Mama and just told her that I just heard it on the radio for the first time. You know, there's something about hearing your song on the radio that's different from hearing it in the monitors in a studio or even while you're doing a morning show and they're playing a clip of it. It's just true. It's knowing that people are doing the dishes, they're driving their car, and you're part of their lives. And they're learning the words to your song. Oh, yeah. I had a weird moment just the other week. I was at Sprouts grocery store. And I was in the parking lot and my song for my first album called Unlove Me was playing. And I thought, oh, well, my um, phone is playing it. And I looked and it wasn't. Ronnie Dunn has a show on Sirius and he was playing my song. And I said, I was so excited then, just like I was on the treadmill. I took a picture of it and I said, Mama, please turn on Ronnie's show. He's playing Unlove Me right now. That feeling, it doesn't get old. Your song, All By My Damn Self, (laughs) mentions, I think, your mom a little bit in there. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of Dolly's 9 to 5. And I want to talk a little bit about your mom and how brave she was to leave the situation that she was in to rescue you girls in that truck all those times. What did your mom teach you about resiliency, about strength, about life? Mama is the strongest person I know. Our house burned up when I was little. She grabbed all three of us girls and got us out by herself. Um, We lost our house in the flood here in Nashville. She's helped me through everything, through the MS diagnosis. So I feel like I pull from her strength, and she now pulls from mine, too. Um, That's beautiful. But I come from a long line of strong ladies. Um, My mama was always very strong, and she was like the other parent for us. My later years, I was a little bit closer to my dad. and But growing up, it was mama and mama. Teaching you to stand on your own damn feet all by myself. And teaching me that I always needed to work. And she said, don't ever depend on no man. You need to work. <laughs> Those are, I mean, she has so many sayings like that. And I will never forget any of them. She's been that one constant through my whole life and my sister's lives. I mean, I talked to her a million times a day. She called me right before you came. I said, Mom, remember I got that interview? She said, oh, okay, bye. Oh, oh, so it's off to work I go. Oh, oh, so it's off to work I go. Two weeks over time for a few extra dimes. Three pretty mouths to feed. And they're counting on Cause a daddy's sleeping Off another late night drinking And before they see him I get him dressed and get him out the door I wear a lot of hats And I fill a lot of shoes I'm a working woman And I ain't scared To get my hands dirty I make a way At the height of your career, you were diagnosed with MS, and you had to hide it. Mm -hmm. Tell us how the disease unfolded, how you knew something was wrong. Take us back to that time in your life. Okay. 
I remember exact venues I was playing in Asheville, North Carolina at the Orange Peel. And in the middle of, and by this point, people knew my lyrics, so they were singing them. But in the middle of my show, my vision went blurry. I love to make eye contact with my crowd. If, and if they're not close enough, I ask them to come up. Like at a festival, I, I say, y'all come up closer so I can see you. And so my vision went blurry and I couldn't see their faces. I could hear them singing. And then I always hold my microphone with my right hand. And then I couldn't hold my microphone anymore. I couldn't, didn't have use of this hand. Um, I didn't really know what was happening. So I switched it to my left hand and the same thing sort of happened. They just started doing things like this. I just couldn't grip my microphone, but there was a microphone stand in front of me. So I was able to get the microphone in the stand and I finished that show. And I never let on to my tour manager or anyone in my band that something was wrong. But as soon as I got back to the bus, I knew I was coming back to Nashville the next day because we were so close. Um, I got back to the bus and I called mama and I said, something was really weird. And I also had this weird electric shock that uh, was went down from the back of my head to my spine. And there's a medical term for that that I just can't think of it, but it's like an electric shock. And so she said, and I told her, I said, something's wrong. And I told her what happened. She said, when you get back, you need to go straight to your doctor. And I had a day off and I went straight to my primary care doctor who immediately sent me to a neurologist and they did um, extensive testing, an MRI, a spinal tap. And it very quickly concluded that I was living with MS. And I had only met one person in my life that had MS. I'd only heard of it. Um, When I used to live in South Carolina on the first Saturday of every month, I was singing in the nursing homes with a band and at one of the nursing homes there was a young lady and she was in her 30s and she wore bright red lipstick and um she I mean as a as a little girl 11 or 12 year old and you're singing at nursing homes and you see a young person there living there I always asked why her name was Carol and I said why is Carol here she's so young and Carol always asked me to sing what part I know for her which is a Lori Morgan song and I Finally, somebody said, Carol has MS and doesn't have a caretaker. And so when my neurologist here told me that I was living with MS, my mind went straight back to Carol, and I thought that meant that would be my life. I would have to give up my dreams. So he gave me lots of literature of what MS was and the available disease-modifying therapies at that time in 2005. And so I took all that literature and I put it in my drawer at home, and I never read it. You know, we had hid a lot of my life growing up. We hid everything that went on in our house. And so I was used to hiding things. And we'd gotten real good at it. And I just, I didn't want that to define me. I had worked and wanted to do music my whole life. And so I said, I'm not going to tell anybody. My mom knew. My dogs knew. My dogs weren't going to tell anybody. (laughs) And my sister knew. And that was it. And my neurologist never really pushed me to accept it. He said, sometimes it takes a while. And now I know looking back, and when I speak to newly diagnosed people, I tell them, please don't do what I did. Because um, there are many now, especially now more than then, therapies that you can live and you can live your dreams. But I was afraid that the music industry would think that I couldn't play shows. And I thought, if I put it back here, it's going to go away. And it did for about five years. I just ignored it. And if I had symptoms, they would only be little ones like when I was trying to work out. But I tried to, you know, have a clean diet and and just live healthy. I did that for five years. And then when the flood came and we lost our house 
And when I went back and when they let us go back into our, our townhouse, our cars floated away and we were rescued by boat too, all of us, even the dogs. Three days later, we went back to see the damage and we lost everything. Um, and as I was trying to, and it was just a stressful time because I also had just lost my record deal because I was working on a movie project in LA the year before, which was put on hold. And when I told the head of my label, my old boss, Luke, that it was put on hold, and I was also then honest about my MS, they were like, well, we're going to put this record on hold or you can just leave and, and put out an independent record. I lost my booking agent. I was honest All with my fans. All at the same time. All at the same time. And so then I had this relapse, MS relapse, because it comes, stress can bring those about. And my mom, I, I remember being in our house and I couldn't use my hands to like sweep a broom. And she said, you need to go back. It didn't go away. So at that point, it took five years, but I took responsibility for myself. I went back and I said, hey, to my neurologist, I never read any of that information you gave me actually it's probably floating in the Harpeth River with everything else of ours and he said it's okay sometimes it takes time and I said but I'm ready to manage this because I want to take control of my life and I started taking a therapy at that point and I've told my fans um, I was honest I had I mean I felt like I'd been living almost a lie for five years and a big weight was off I was like okay this is me and I'm going to live my dreams with this and so when I got my state farm check for the car that floated away, I paid for those two independent records I was talking about at the start of this interview. One caught alive because I was alive. We had been rescued. And the other was a Christmas record that I put out. After those, that's when Shooter reached out. <laughs> First of all, you look fantastic. Thank you. Tell us how you're feeling today. I'm feeling great. My whole family was nervous about me having a child because... We did IVF, which we did three cycles of that because I, I waited till I was till I've met the right man. But it took a long time to get married. And I married when I was 39. That was our only way to have a child was IVF. And I was going back and forth to Charlotte, North Carolina. And that was just that drive is kind of stressful. And when you're doing that constantly. So my family was so worried about me. And I just prayed. I was like, you know what? God, please let me have this child and then um, keep me healthy so that I can take care of him. And honestly, I still work out. I do weights two or three times a week and I try to eat healthy most of the time. Thankfully, Matt, my husband eats healthy too. So I just try to take care of me and also take the medications that are available. You were just talking about your son who you've mentioned several times throughout this interview. <laughs> <laughs> if your son came to you and said, mommy, I want to have a career in the music industry, what would you tell him? Go for it. <laughs> Easily. I mean, I, he loves music. He loves it so much. And I guess I would be like mama was to me because mama was always the dreamer like I was. And I would say, go for it. I've heard people say, I would never tell my child to do that because it's hard. It is. And there's so many ups and downs, but if something fills your soul like music does me and me standing on stage, the feeling that I feel driving back home is that I want to go to the next town. I don't want to come back home. And that's how I've always been. If something like that is in his life that truly fills his soul and brings happiness, I want him to do it because had mom not pushed me and helped me, I don't know what I'd be doing, but I wouldn't be happy. I know that there are the ups and downs. I've lived them. Well, the music industry has changed so much since so you much. first got started. What would you tell a new artist coming to town about how to be successful in today's 
version of the music industry. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I'm learning. I'm relearning this business. When I started making the record with Shooter, we thought it was, uh, we would just go to a, a major label again. Well, that didn't happen. It's been a learning curve for me, honestly, when I started working with Erin Enderlin to finish the record. I mean, seriously, she had to like, give me lessons on our, I feel like I was in school, music business school again at Belmont all over again. But when I was in the studio with her and in particular recording um, the duet with Randy Hauser, I was talking to him about it because we started in the business together when we were on major labels and now we're independent. And I said, so Randy, I said, you're independent now. I said, how do you like it? I follow you and you're doing great. You're releasing a song every couple of weeks. He said, you know what, Julie? He said, it's so different. He said, but it's so much more fun. And he said, you know why? Because you and I can release a song every other week now if we want to, and nobody's controlling it. He said, I have a studio at my house. He said, I can go write a song and record it. And he said, and just to have that freedom and these avenues that independent artists can take advantage of now, he said, it makes it fun again. And I will never forget him telling that to me. And it has been fun. And we've released a song, I think, every couple of weeks on Fridays for this new record. And those days are like Christmas to me. (laughs) Like I wake up and I start streaming my songs. You know, I've like totally learned all the DSP, digital streaming platform. I mean, all the stuff I didn't know. And all I knew was to take your song to a radio station. But now with all of these platforms, I think it gives independent artists an opportunity to get their music out there. When I was first here in town, I played anywhere I could, laundromats, coffee shops, pizza restaurants, because, you know, everybody here wants those gigs. And so I remember going to the owner of this uh, laundromat and said, can my band set up and just play? We just wanted to play and just play, just play and own your craft. Figure out who you are to your authentic you that you mentioned earlier and who you want to be. And I, I think being yourself and being authentic will help. A person stand out too from the rest and um and I think it makes fans connect to you if they know that you're being you speaking of being authentic one of my favorite songs of yours is unlove me and oh, what so is it about a song that just makes you say that is a song I want to record is there some special ingredient that you look for yeah if it moves me in any way I always close my eyes if I'm listening to a new song and if I can feel it if I've lived it or if I know someone that's lived it I can become that character in that song. If I can become the person singing those lyrics and see a video in my head of it, of me or someone close to me, then that song is for me. And I can't sell something that I don't believe. So if I believe a lyric, and if a lyric hits me, more so I think than the music, it's the story for me. you are driving along in your car and you hear a song on the radio what song is it that makes you say I wish I wrote that there's there's so many of those probably you've heard this one a lot unanswered prayers I love that song because all along the way like this record is taken about seven years and and they've thought ain't in a hurry that's another reason we title it she didn't hurry get that music out but that's not true I would have gotten it out years ago and I was praying God help me get this record out 
Like, why do I keep getting these pauses? And I was getting those pauses because I needed to finish it in Nashville with Aaron. I needed these other songs that we added at the very end. I needed to have time to go through IVF so that I could share this album with my son, Jackson, who would not be here. And I don't know, that song, I think I have lived it so many times and will live it for the rest of my life. So if I could have written that, I just never get tired of listening to it. When it comes on, I turn it up. I wanted to share with you a little story about a woman whom I've interviewed in the past. Her name is Wendy Booker. She's also an MS survivor like you. She was 43 when she was diagnosed, and she made a decision that she was going to take the medicines that they told her to take, but she was not going to let MS define her. And like you, she goes all around the country to talk to MS survivors. She has climbed all seven of the world's tallest peaks, including Everest. Wow. With MS, the first woman to ever do this. That's amazing. She said to me, it's not what happens to you in life. It's how you handle it. Yep. Does that quote ring true for you? It's so true. If you define yourself by everything that happened, I mean, I wouldn't want people to meet me if I was like, (laughs) you know, that little girl that was running scared into mama's truck you know, but now I'm the stronger person. That's a great quote. I would love to meet her. I will introduce you. Yes. I promise she would love to meet you as well. There's another song before we get to our last question that I wanted to ask you about because it's one of my very favorites on your CD. And it's called The Song Goes With Me. Mm -hmm. And I know that brings you back to when you were leaving Mercury. Mm -hmm. Tell that story. I had started my third record with them when they decided that it wasn't a good fit for us anymore. So I got together with a couple of my favorite writers, Marcus Hemmen and Daryl Scott, and wrote this song because I just thought, you know what? And the song is, the song goes with me when I go. And it takes you back to my childhood too. When I would go get my dad out of the bar and I'd drive home, he'd be in the back seat. The song was still with me. We would sing, I would sing Merle Haggard on the radio on the way back home, taking him home. So music's always with me, and no matter what happens in life or what's taken from you, for me, that song, or music's always in my soul. And so I had to write that song, and the the line is, the song goes with me when I go. Lately I've been wondering If I should even be here Seems everything is showing me That I don't I've got the story And this broken heart of gold Memories and melodies And I've got this song And this song It's a hard one to sing, 
but it's also a powerful one to sing. I had always only prayed when I was a little girl, God, please give me a record deal and help me get mom a happy home. I lost both of those within like the same week, that record deal in our home. That was a hard, hard time for me. When I sing it now, I'm, I'm totally much stronger, you know, than I was at the time when we wrote it. But I'm proud because I feel like I've come a long way. My songs will always be with me. Final question. Okay. And I want to say thank you so much for hosting us here in your beautiful bell bottoms. Oh, We're thank get a you. <laughs> Fill in the blank. Okay. The key to my success in country music has been? It's been my faith and it's been mama. Truly. She's always the one that I called when I was leaving a radio station and said, I don't think I did good, Mom. I don't know if they're going to play my song. And then it's my faith that's always kept me going back to the studio and making more music. And it's hard to do two or one word, but my fans, even when I told them I had MS, they said, we believe in you still. We love your music. And they have stuck with me. 18 years since Breakdown Here has come out, and now they're excited for this new record. They were like, we were wondering where you're at, and I was always here. It just wasn't time. So I can't do one word. It's my faith. It's mama, my fans, and now it's my family. Our thanks to Julie Roberts for welcoming us into her world for a little while. Isn't she amazing? Check out her new album, Ain't In No Hurry, distributed by 1RPM Nashville. For all things Julie, check out her website at julieroberts.com. There they are, Candy O'Terry and J.C. Dawn Valeris, two award-winning interviewers who are respected and trusted right here in Nashville. Do us a favor and hit that subscribe button right now and tell your friends about the show. Follow them at Country Music Success Stories and on TikTok at Candy and J.C. 